Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to Crushing Cashflow. I've got Bailey Kramer with me today. A little bit about Bailey. He's a real estate investor, entrepreneur, and podcast host, best based in sunny Orlando, Florida. Always jealous to hear that, especially in the winter. He got a really early start at just 19 years old. Just like most of us got to start reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, lots of books. I focus on acquiring properties, all use creative financing strategies. We'll get into that. He's built a portfolio consisting of a combination of short-term and long-term rentals. And he started a short-term rental management company. I'm curious to hear about that. His free time, he enjoys traveling, playing sports, and eating delicious food. And I'm assuming probably hitting the beach and maybe a Cocoa Beach area as well. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, Andrew. Appreciate it. No problem. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. So tell us, you know, you got an earlier start than most, way predated me at 19 years old. How'd that happen? How did it happen in your teenage years? Yeah. So I always knew, ever since I could remember, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to make a lot of money and just basically be in control of my time. So when I went to college, my whole goal was I'd end up finishing. If I had the perfect vision in my head before I started was I'd finish college, but while I'm in college, I would create a business that I could run afterwards. And freshman year, first year went by and didn't really do much of anything. And I was like, okay, sophomore year is coming around and I only have about two and a half year, three years left. I got to hit this goal. So I just started reading books and I was kind of doing that the whole time, watching YouTube, all that fun stuff, just looking up different hustles and business ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came upon the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So read that book. And then I looked up who the author was, Robert Kiyosaki, Mm -hmm. whether it was true or not, he said he's worth hundred plus million dollars. And a big reason is due to real estate. So I'm like, all right, I, I like everything he said. He did real estate. Let me learn what that thing's about. So then I found bigger pockets once I started listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast, I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the rest is history from there. Obviously, it took a lot of time, but that's kind of how I jumped into it. So I'm wondering, yeah, getting started that early age, what, number one, that's phenomenal. Most people, and including me, you get easily sidetracked with distractions in your teenage years, college years, you know, partying or for me, buying cars and racing cars and spending all my free <laughs> money. That was my advice. And it kind of still is, right? How did you stay focused and start to build the empire and avoid the normal teenage slash college distractions? I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm an old man at heart. That's yeah. what a lot of people say. I honestly agree. I've never been a huge partier guy. I have a girlfriend that I've been dating for almost six years now. Oh, wow. So I also always connected with older people. Yeah. So my thought process is definitely not common for someone my age. It's yeah. definitely a couple of years older, but I've never been attracted to the whole party scene or anything like that. So it really was just kind of a natural thing for me. That's great to hear. I mean, that's somewhat uncommon, you know, not only these days, but really anywhere, really. So let's talk about the short-term rental piece. Why go after, maybe it's because you're in Florida, but why short-term rentals versus the longer-term single family or multifamily? Great question. And actually, so none of my short-term rentals are in Orlando, Florida or in Florida at all. Wow. What happened happened was kind of give like the short story. I know we're shorter on time, but basically I partnered up with somebody in Illinois. So I grew up in Wisconsin and I 
met a gentleman in Illinois through a mastermind group that I was in. And long story short, he said, Bailey, I'm struggling to find deals. Market's hot. This is like mid Corona. Mm -hmm. Can you help me find deals? I said, I don't know anything about it, but I can sure use my time. I was a junior in college then. I said, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. Let's see what we can do. Long story short, we start texting and cold calling owners, vacant houses, high equity, low equity. And we picked up a couple single family rentals, long-term rentals. And then we did a couple fix and flips as well. And getting to the question of how do we get into the, the short-term rental stuff? Well, one of our leads was like super hot. This guy was super motivated. He was our most motivated lead. We had great terms on the property, but it wasn't going to make a great long-term rental just because it was a larger property. It just didn't really make much sense. <laughs> but we were like, oh, what else could we do with this? We didn't want to just let this go. We're like, we could fix and flip it. It definitely had fix and flip potential, but it was our biggest purchase price at the time. It was 779000 mm-hmm. So we're like, ah, I don't know if we're you know, willing to take a risk to sell this thing for a million bucks. Like That's kind yeah. of a little past us. Long story short, we're like, what if we did a short-term rental? Mm-hmm. And we kind of ran some rough numbers, did some research, and honestly kind of just won it. We went for it. Yeah. And it's worked out. And are you kind of sticking to that as your strategy and you, you like the model you have? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's worked out a lot better than we anticipated because we were extra conservative on the front end. And then once we saw it work and we're like, yeah, we might as well stick with this. <laughs> and I want, I'm curious to get your thoughts. And so I only short term as well, as well as multifamily, right? You know, do you find it challenging to do the underwriting from a financial perspective? Because you don't always know, like month to month, you know, you have a certain amount of vacancy or whatever, and as a long-term rental, a short-term, it's kind of, you know, it could be hit or miss, right? So how do you factor that into your underwriting? Yeah. So the traditional way that everyone talks about that I hate when people say this is they just do the average daily rate times the occupancy. (laughs) And then they like, all right, that's how much revenue we're going to make. And I'm like, you can't do that because that's like such a broad... I think a lot of people are going to get in trouble when they do that personally. So the way I like to do it is by seasons. So this is like market dependent, but you can apply this model to any market. Mm-hmm. I use the average daily rate times the occupancy, but I look between certain months. So for me in Illinois, I know that between June 1st and September 1st, like that's one season. We're going to have one yeah. common average daily rate. And for us, it really doesn't change because we have a seven night minimum. And then we have an occupancy rate. And then during the winter time from whenever the winter months are, we have another formula. So if that's, yeah. that's October to like May-ish. Yeah. It's a long, so, long winter. <laughs> so long winter. We're conservative because yeah. October technically is still summer where we are. May is technically still summer. Yeah. And then the other thing too is we don't just do that and call it a day. We look at December, for example, and we say, okay, there's Christmas and there's New Year's. And we kind of look at what our numbers are going to be for that. We look at Thanksgiving. We look at, so there's a lot of different factors and just like the overarching average daily rate times occupancy. That's one thing I'd recommend it is really dive deep yeah. into the numbers to understand actually why are you going to get those numbers instead of just, yeah, this is a great occupancy rate. Oh, this is a good average daily rate. But like when are those bookings actually going to come in? So for us, one other thing to add is during the winter, besides the Christmas and the New Year's, we know that during the weekday, or at least we underwrite, we're not going to be booked at all for the winter. So we just say, can we get weekend bookings if we had to do 400 bucks a night? And we say, yes. Now we think we can do a lot higher price, but again, that's just kind of how we Conservative. do it. Conservative. Yeah, that's fair. So you're all in Illinois right now with the short term. 
So I own one short-term rental in Illinois, one in Wisconsin, and then I manage two in North Carolina, an additional two in Illinois, and one in Indiana. So I think it comes out to seven total that I own and or manage. So you may be the first person I've met in the several hundred over the last year, let's say, that live in Florida and, <laughs> and all the properties, let's say Carolina, maybe I know. the normal, right? <laughs> everything else is in Midwest. How are you managing that remotely? How's it working out for you? Usually it's the opposite. Like, you know, I'm in Philly and we manage in, you know, Florida or the Carolinas. Right. <laughs> That's a lot more common. You know, I'm curious, how is that working? Yeah, it's going really, really well. You said, how do we do it? Well, we have the right people in place. Yeah. So really we have cleaners. That's like the biggest one. I agree. I agree. And then <laughs> after the cleaners, you know, anything else is pretty much, they're just a phone call away to fix something. Yeah. But we have like a list of people to call. But yeah. in the beginning, we just looked up on, if someone said, oh, the bathroom's leaking, we yeah. just looked up plumbers on the internet and called somebody. <laughs> so that's great. We have software that does 99% of the messaging for us, which is great. And I'm only really needed when something goes wrong. So the positive to that is it's typically like two to three hours a week. The negative to that is I don't get to pick those two to three hours. Yeah. It's whenever the problems arise. Yeah. So definitely has its pros and cons in that realm, but I'm pretty much only needed when something goes wrong. When everything's going right, my automated messaging is pretty much taking care of it for me. Now, what about on the booking side? Are you doing that through like a VRBO Airbnb? Or are you going through a third party? How does that work? Yeah, we do Airbnb and VRBO. We're also doing booking.com as well for one of the properties. Hmm. But yeah, our software, we use Guesty for our management software. So everything kind of runs through Guesty. And that's kind of what I look at and kind of syncs everything together. So how does that work? Does that interface with your bookings? With like, if somebody books on VRBO and it's time to collect their second payment, does it nag them through there? How does that work? And what do you need that versus just do VRBO? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Guesty... And we also used hospitable.com. That's another great one for, we could probably manage it with five units. I would say hospitable.com is really good for under 10 units, but we're looking to scale beyond that. So we're kind of preparing ahead with Guesty. But essentially it keeps everything in one place. So I see my calendar in one place that has booking.com. It has VRBO, Airbnb. Okay. I don't really care where those are coming from. I want to see my calendar all in one shot and be able to, you know, customize different things. Also with the messaging, I don't want to have to go to Airbnb and then go back to VRBO. And this person said he's checking out or checking in at this time. So I have to, I want to do everything in one place, everything in one place. Same thing with pricing too. I want to just be able to have one hub. I use price labs for my dynamic pricing, but if I want to make any adjustments, I can do that in price lab and it'll reflect to everything. Hmm. Or if I want to make some minor tweaks, I could just go into Guesty and make a tweak here and there. So what about things like expenses and capital improvements? Are you tracking that through the same software? So we just switched over about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing it yet, but we are going to end up switching because they have a really good accounting type tracking software yeah. on there. So we're going to probably in the next two to four weeks. But right now we're just using the good old Google Sheets. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. And between that, and I think QuickBooks is helpful too, because it'll itemize things they come in. So yep. it'd be great if you said like, there's one place you could have soup to nuts, bookings, expenses, you know, yep. tracking contractors. That, that, that's Guesty. Yeah. Guesty does that. We haven't maximized it just yet. 
Well, too bad we don't have an affiliate program with them. We could each be getting referrals from all the <laughs> plugging we're doing. So you're welcome, Guesty, for, <laughs> for the plugs. So that's great. So let's talk about seller financing. I know you're big on that. You know, how many of your deals have you done through that? Would you recommend it to others as an avenue or an option? Yeah. So out of the six deals that I've bought, four of them have been seller financing. One of them has been cash and one of them has been subject to. I mean, seller financing is my favorite. I think it's the most practical, the most widespread understanding amongst owners. Hmm. And I think the easier to pull off seller financing than subject to, which is a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I think it's a great way, especially if you're, if you're limited on funds and you can't get a mortgage from a bank, yeah. seller financing is a great way to go. And it might become more, you know, as prices, as you know, have skyrocketed in the last, really the last two years. It might be the only option for many people because they might not want yeah. to, to underwrite it at the full value of the appraisal, right? right? So for sure. Yeah. So what are the motivations for a seller, right? Is it that, hey, I've got this kind of annuity, you want to call it that, they get a payment to them and they're still able to get out of the property a lot easier. They have more options. Is that their main motivation? So different owners, different motivations, of course, but here are kind of the couple that we've dealt with. One of the motivations for one of the sellers was he lived like two hours away from the property. It was actually two properties he bought from him at the same time. And basically he lived two hours away. He kind of fixed them up. Once a month, he'd go up there and kind of do something here and there. The projects were taking way too long. And when we approached him, we could hear his wife in the back saying, sell it, just sell the property. <laughs> so it was just a headache for them. And those were vacant properties. That's how we pulled the list for that, where they were vacant. So for his motivation was, it was just a headache for everybody at that point. Another seller, he actually listed his property on the market and was super stuck on his price. He wouldn't budge his price. So we were able to come in, pay his price, but get the terms we wanted to get. That was a win-win there. That's oftentimes a really big one for sellers. Okay, They're stuck on the price. And you, yeah. So you mentioned pulling the list. Are you going all mostly direct to seller or are you looking on market properties as well? Most of them were direct to seller or one of them was from a wholesaler. Hmm. But yeah, direct to seller. And what platform are you using to pull data? Are you just doing skip tracing or how are you working that? Yeah, we use PropStream. Hmm. List source is another good one. I do like list source, especially for people starting out because PropStream almost has too much information that, you, yeah. that is great. But if you're just starting out, it's just going to become a distraction. So if I were to say to someone just starting out, I'd say go to list source, pull a list, you know, narrow it down, super niche. And just pick up the phone and start calling these people having conversations. Then once you get some traction or maybe even get a deal, then go to PropStream. It costs more money because mm -hmm. you're paying a monthly subscription and you have to all this stuff and you have to skip trace it as well. But yeah, yeah. We, we, we've been using PropStream. No, great advice. So kind of rounding in the last few questions, are, are you guys looking for investors? Are you in it all on your own or joint ventures? What does the partnership model look like for you guys? Yeah, we're always looking for more investors. That's for sure. We're looking for always looking for more money and more deals. So, you know, everybody else. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you'll start purchasing kind of one property at a time, but looking for openly looking for partners for, you know, either passive or active investors, both. Yeah. More so passive. I've done a bunch of different partnerships and I'm gearing farther away from bringing on more active partners just because I can't be married to 50 different people. Yeah. And I just realized that for me, my life that I want to create, I can already just tell it's going to be a lot of headache 
to have, yeah. for me to have 50 different partners. So I'm trying yeah. to limit the active partners and just have people I send checks to and all they do is send me a thumbs up emoji or they don't have to tell me anything and we can, they, they can just go on with it. I get it. I get it. So that's great. So lots of practical advice here. Let's say there's you know several listening here who want to get in contact with you. How do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Best way is through Instagram. I have okay. all my social medias on my bio that you could check out. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. Pretty much Instagram is my kind of central hub for everything. And you can just direct message me. Let me know that you heard me on the podcast. And yeah, love to help out anybody who reaches out. Awesome. So last comment I'll get on is it's funny you say you're an old soul. You're obviously doing really well. And TikTok kind of goes against the old soul principle. I got I think that's funny, but <laughs> yeah, well, I'm an old soul, but I also realize the power of social media. Yeah, and so I would say at heart, I'm an old soul, but yeah, yeah. At the same time, I'm very hard on TikTok right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know it works. All right, cool. Thanks so much for, for coming along, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.